In the church's life, this is the feast of the holy name of Jesus. And so that's the focus, but it's also New Year's. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how those two things relate. I want to say first, my dear friend and mentor, uh, Father Lewis Weil, who was my teacher at Neshota House and taught for over 20 years at CDSP in Berkeley, is celebrating his 50th anniversary of his ordination today. And so uh, I'm beaming it out in his direction, and I told him I'd say that as I began to preach at St. Luke's Church. I want to say a few things about the origin of this feast, where it came from, then to say some things about the Christmas affirmations that I talk about all during Christmas tide every year, and see how they relate to the epistle uh, that Pierce read to you from Philippians. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And how we might understand in this holy season how that works itself out. Remember one of my favorite biblical quotations, maybe the favorite one of mine, is from Hebrews chapter 12. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So we understand him to be the template that we lay over our own spiritual life and maturity. And in some way, the affirmations that we have during Christmas tide have something to do with how we understand the nature of this person, Jesus. The Feast of the Holy Name in, on January 1st is a fairly new designation for this day. Uh, in the prayer book in England still, the official prayer book, 1662, and in our prayer book in 1928, until the new one, it was the Feast of the Circumcision. My mother would have said, oh, you know, dear, that's awfully clinical. <laughs> I wish it would, there'd be some other name for this, right? But of course, the Jewish custom was that after the eighth day, I expect they waited eight days to see if the babe would live. Then they circumcised the baby and named him or her. Uh, the medieval grave sites in England and in other parts of Europe are full of gravestones that have no name for children who didn't, weren't given a name. So Jesus was given a name that means Yahweh saves. Or more to the point, in terms of Jesus' ministry, it is Yahweh rescues. And so in the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus rescues us and brings us back into conformity with God's purposes and provides us a template that we can use to live into those processes. So during the Christmas season, uh, it's a good time to think about what gets affirmed through the mighty works of Jesus Christ. I should also mention that the Feast of the Circumcision, which is kind of, you know, not a happy subject, uh, was uh, promulgated in 597 in the, nor in the part of Europe then we call the Gallican churches, northern France, England, Germany, and so on. And it says in the Lesser Feasts and Fasts that the liturgical commemoration of the circumcision is of Gallican origin 
and a council in Tours in 597 enacted that the day was to be kept as a fast day to counteract the pagan festivities connected with the beginning of the new year. Maybe we should still call it the circumcision. I don't know. In the Roman tradition, January 1st was observed as the octave day of Christmas, and it was specially devoted to the Virgin Mother. So this Sunday in the Roman Church is the Solemnity of Mary. And in the biblical witness from the readings today, we get that in Mary pondered all these things in her heart. So it's a special day. So here are the four affirmations that are part of how we understand this season. And they ground themselves in uh, the words and works of Jesus Christ and in the power of the experience of Christian people living out uh, the promises of God or trying to live out the promises of God. The first affirmation is the goodness of our humanity. It is an affirmation of our goodness that God became a human being and that in his words and in his works, we have seen words and works indistinguishable from the words and works of God. And so this is an affirmation of the account in Genesis that God made the world. He made each one of us and he called it good. So the default position of Christian people is that we interact with one another affirming and acknowledging the basic goodness of humanity and how important that is. The second affirmation is that we affirm that each one of us can achieve the highest of our human potential. I don't mean that in some human potential movement sense, you know, uh, trying to have, to understand life as a manipulatable sense of well-being. But perhaps we, when we say the achievement of our highest human potential is that we acknowledge that we were made for a purpose, that God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives us, that we have a role to play in God's plan for the cosmos. I mentioned on Christmas that I use that word because in Greek, cosmos can mean ordering things out of chaos, bringing some semblance of coherence and order to the world, and it also means ornament. So I always think this time of year, it's nice to think of each of us as one of God's ornaments. How important and precious we are in the sight of God. And as we live into that reality and that knowledge, we become uh, the human beings that God calls us to be. Father Thomas Keating says in one of his books, the humdrum duties and events of daily life become sacramental and shot through with eternal implications. Jesus has joined the human family and has not just subjected himself to the consequences of the flesh, but also introduced the principle of redemption from all of the pre-rational programs for happiness that I talk about all the time. They center around security and survival, affection and esteem, and power and control. And those are the three areas where I think we need spiritually, mentally, and emotionally to do most of our work. And we celebrate during Christmas tide the redemptive work of God in the middle of all that. We always have a helper. We don't have to do that 
alone. So we affirm the highest of our human potential. The third affirmation is that we affirm that it is possible for human beings to be joyful and people of hope, and that we understand joy not as some sort of giddiness or uh, Pollyanna-ish um, optimism, but as a sure and steady con uh, confidence that the conundrums and uncertainties of life can and do come into sh clearer and sharper focus as we live, and we begin to make sense out of things, and we begin to accumulate what is known as practical wisdom. Practical wisdom can be understood as the accumulated response to adversity. So somehow we learn, in fact, to uh, improve our coping skills as we live and also have the ability to reflect that back to other people and to assist them in the process as we are assisted by their practical wisdom that they share with us without prejudice. And finally, the fourth affirmation is that we believe that Christian people should be people of peace, that we should be peacemakers, and we should labor in every way to bring peace to the world. If Jesus used that term, he would have used shalom, a very powerful term. And you've heard me do this before, but here's, here's some definitions. It's a, it has many definitions if you look them up. Shalom can mean completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. So peace, in this context, shalom does not merely mean the absence of war. It is a multifaceted concept that has to do <clears throat> with all aspects of human relationship. And we affirm its importance and how we're to be part of that. We're to be transparencies and reflections of the shalom of God. So in today's readings... We have a reading from Philippians where Paul is speaking or writing to the Philippian congregation and he begins, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then what is read after that is actually Paul reproducing an early Christian hymn that even predates the writing of the letter to the Philippians, which was when? About 53 A.D. So here we have in the tradition a hymn that was used in the liturgy of the New Testament church. And he's speaking about how this connects with having the same mind as Christ Jesus. So here's how I, what I want to share with you. I hope it's not too abstruse, but we'll just have to take a gamble. Certainly in Protestant theology, the centerpiece of Paul's Writing has been has thought to have been for a long, long time something called uh, justification by grace through faith. That it is our faith that saves us and nothing that we can do. And God's grace is the process by which we have this occur and happen. But for the last 40 years or more, there's been a huge amount of work done in New Testament studies that suggests that while that is not unimportant, Paul had at least a... Uh, parallel view about the nature of hum humanity and how we understand our relationship with Jesus Christ 
And that is called participation in Christ. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So how does that happen? How would you say, I have the same mind? I'm not going to think Jesus' thoughts, you know. Although I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, a lot of family members sometimes think you should think their thoughts and feel their feelings, right? Or know without being told. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is something that we do to respond to being incorporated in Christ. It is a fait accompli for the baptized, what we celebrated today. We have now been incorporated in Christ. And the process of incorporation then produces the ability to do certain things, to respond to the divine initiative. And what that might mean is that we reflect to the world God's love, humility, consideration for the interests of others, and that we attempt to manifest in our common life together and in our interior emotional, spiritual, and mental states the processes whereby we express the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, so that you have some way of understanding how to live into this, tools that you can use, stuff that you can do. And you receive that from the grace of God given to you freely and without regard to your personal merit. But at the same time, you are now a participant in the life of Christ and can constitute for the world a transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love. So give thanks for God's rescue in the person of Jesus Christ and give thanks for the holy name of Jesus. Amen.